Welcome everyone to No Need to Argue with Kobe Whittick here. I am uh, glad to be uh, doing this. We are 10 days away from the NFL draft and we're going to have a big draft show for everyone here. We're going to talk mock drafts. Um, we're going to definitely dive into uh, the Cleveland Browns, uh, my Denver Broncos with a top five pick. What should we, we be doing? What has happened lately? And uh, then we will uh, dig a little deeper into the NFL draft, top five picks, top 10 picks. What are what are teams going to be doing? What do we expect? Um, and what would be the best outcome as we see it for um, these teams heading into the 2018 draft? So um, joining me today, I have uh, my brother, Tanner Wittick, on and uh, my really, really good friend, one of my oldest friends, um, Tim Burris, joining us from Washington on the phone. Uh, he uh, just relocated to Washington a couple months back, got a big job offer and had to had to move out of the big CEO. So I'm glad that they're able to be here. Um, so welcome, guys. How's everything going for you? I'm doing well. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, you know, I'm excited to talk uh, draft and nuggets and everything we're going to talk about. Awesome. That's Tanner, my brother. Timmy, how you doing? I'm great out here in Bellevue, uh, Washington. Just got off work a little bit ago and I'm very thankful you're able to uh, have me on today so you can talk about some of the local teams that I miss dearly. Get to wash them out here now, but uh, happy to be here and doing great in this beautiful, rainy, 45-degree weather. Yeah, well, good. Well, like I said, Denver hasn't been too different. We get up to about 65 during the day and down below freezing at night, so, um, but we'll, uh, we'll definitely get this thing going, guys. Thanks so much for being here and joining me today uh, for this big-time uh, show here with the NFL draft and everything else going on. So diving right into this thing, let's get into it. NFL draft, mock drafts have been going crazy. Um, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper on like draft, uh, mock draft 100.0, whatever it is, they go through a million times. Picks, what they're going to do, what, what they're hearing. This is one draft I think that hasn't changed too much in their mock drafts. I mean, pretty much every single person who does a mock draft has three or four quarterbacks going in the top five, and then a few, you know, of the best players kind of taking the rest of those picks in the top five, six picks going on. So just to get started here, guys, um, I'm looking at Mel Kuyper Jr.'s mock draft and Todd McShay's mock draft 4.0 for both of them. Um, Mel Kuyper Jr. has Josh Allen, the quarterback from Wyoming, going number one overall to Cleveland. Todd McShay has Sam Darnold, the quarterback at a USC, going number one overall. Um, Mel Kuyper Jr. then has, rounding out the top five, Sam Darnold going to the Giants. Josh Rosen uh, at a UCLA going to the Jets. Saquon Barkley at a Penn State. Some say the best prospect in the entire draft, going number four to Cleveland. And then Mel Kuyper has Baker Mayfield going number five to our Denver Broncos. Rounding out Todd McShay's draft, he has the Bills trading up with the Giants to get the number two pick to take Josh Allen. He still has Jets taking Josh Rosen. They're both the same there. He has Saquon Barkley going number four to the uh, Cleveland Browns uh, as well. And then he has the Broncos taking Bradley Chubb instead of Baker Mayfield and has Baker Mayfield going off six to the Miami Dolphins trading up with the Colts to take that. So based on Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay's mock draft, what's your thoughts on Baker Mayfield going to the Broncos, Bradley Chubb going to the Broncos, and then the mix of the top three quarterbacks uh, with Cleveland going number one overall. Well, you know, um, I think the Cleveland Browns would would uh, not benefit very much from taking the quarterback. I've talked about this before. I think that uh, it's too much of a reach. It's too much of a 
difficult pick, and there's too much uh, up in the air that you don't know about quarterbacks and how they're going to perform at the professional level. And I think that they could easily take uh, something else that would fill their void and change their team a lot more than a quarterback. What do you think, Timmy? Yeah, um, you know, I, I really can't agree with you more, Tanner. And I can't agree with, uh, who was it that had uh, the Browns not taking a QB? Uh, McShay? Uh, they both had one taking a QB, uh, number one overall. McShay had Darnold, uh, Mel Kuyper had Josh Allen, and then they both had him taking Saquon Barkley, number four. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Barkley coming off the board in the top four to the Browns, but I'm right there with Tanner. I, I don't think at this point any of these QBs are as defined as past QBs to be the number one selection or even in the top five. Um, over any of the others. And with that, we all know the track record of the Browns. The whole world knows the track record of the Browns with QB. And so I, I just, I don't see any benefit. And again, I've talked about, just like Tanner said, what I've talked about, uh, I like the Browns taking Barkley at one, and then I like them taking actually Minka Fitzpatrick uh, to really round out their, their DBs um, at number four with, of course, the Giants and the Jets swapping back and forth between Darnold and Rosen. And then, uh, then of course, my, my question always is, you know, you guys heard this last time we chatted, why would the Broncos ever even consider taking a quarterback that three teams already passed on, maybe even four by this point, if there's any trade? Yeah, I so, mean, uh, it, there's, there's, there's no clear-cut quarterback this year. That's why I think it, uh, it, it's almost critical to me that, um, you know, you got – four and five uh, quarterbacks coming off the board on most all these mock drafts because it, 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 it baffles me that uh, people are still ranking these quarterbacks this high um, just because of the position when I feel like there's a lot better players out there that can help teams out more that are less scary picks. No, and I, I understand where you guys are coming from with that, and I, I can't say that I totally agree or totally disagree. Um, I don't think that there's, you know, a big-time franchise-changing quarterback in this draft and I say that saying that they're not a franchise changing quarterback in their first two maybe three years I think that there's some quarterbacks here that have some talent um, you know there's definitely a couple that have the right kind of body type and makeup of an NFL quarterback but I don't know if you know one of these guys is going to be able to come in and immediately change your franchise like a you know, Andrew Luck did or Carson Wentz did or, you know, some of these other guys that have come in and been able to start their first year making an immediate impact. I mean, you even look at RG3. I mean, his rookie year, he led the Washington Redskins uh, to the playoffs before getting injured and then went through, you know, all the woes that he's gone through. So, I mean, there's been quarterbacks in the past who have been able to step in and kind of take a mediocre or low-end franchise to a higher level than what they were before. But when I look at these quarterbacks – I think if you get these quarterbacks into the right system where they can learn, they can develop as a quarterback, they can get under the right, you know, coach, quarterback coach, head coach, offensive coordinator. Um, you know, I'm not saying that none of these guys are going to be successful, but in the same sense of what you guys are kind of saying, I think, you know, as Cleveland, we've seen the draft record that they have with quarterbacks. You know, we've seen, you know, just the year in and year out of them being absolutely terrible and bottom feeders of the NFL. You know, I think the way that you begin to kind of turn, you know, that record of 
same thing over and over, 1 and 15, 2 and 14, 0 and 16, is to start building the rest of your team with top-notch guys, these top-round draft picks that you have. And then when you're able to find a quarterback, whether it be in free agency or whether it be in the draft, that can really step in, play right away, and as a guy that you see as a franchise, you know, changing quarterback, you will have the team around him to fit. And I think that's something that they haven't had in the past. When they draft these quarterbacks, you know, in the top three, top, you know, two, number one overall, top five, all these picks that they've had, you know, it's tough to bring these guys into a team that is absolutely terrible from top to bottom and expect them to make a difference. I think that's been, you know, kind of the hard part of, you know, quarterbacks that go to Cleveland is, you know, that's where quarterbacks go to die. Well, it's because quarterbacks go to die there because there's no team there. And I, in a sense, almost feel bad for all the quarterbacks that they've been through in the past 20 years because they haven't been able to put a team around them to help those quarterbacks develop and become what maybe they were supposed to be. Yeah, like, um, I, I, I completely agree. I, uh, they don't have a team there, so every quarterback that goes there, they just they, they fall on their face. <clears throat> but if you look at all these, these top picks right now at the top of the draft, most of these uh, teams... <laughs> Um, look like they are in desperate need of a quarterback. So most all of these quarterbacks that they're going to pick seem like they're going to be put right into a starting position and see what they can do. And it's just it just doesn't seem like those type of quarterbacks are at the top right now. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, but no, none of these teams are going to be able to build success for any of these quarterbacks. Whether it's the Browns, Giants, Jets, the Broncos have a little bit of an edge at five. But even then, I mean, there's still so many questions that the Broncos have. Uh, just wondering if these, you know, basically plug-and-play free agents on the O-line are going to actually work here for the 2018 season. So, you know, last time we talked, guys, um, I was really big on the Broncos maybe reaching a little bit for uh, Quentin Nelson or for his uh, lineman buddy there at uh, Notre Dame. And I, uh, after our talk, I kind of settled with something, you know, uh, let's give our free agents a shot. I think the Broncos, there's kind of a consensus that, you know, between two of the top quarterbacks or two of the three, you know, Josh Allen, Darnold, Rosen, they might be off the board. Barkley and Chubb are probably going to be off the board. Um, but if Chubb isn't, I really think the Broncos should go after Chubb or Minka Fitzpatrick, and if somehow, some way, those two are gone, I think the Broncos got to trade down. Um, and maybe maybe get that Lamar Jackson, Roquan Smith, you know, those those 5 to 15 kind of range players that everybody's projecting them at. Because um, this is a draft that I think Elway has to win to gain a lot of support back and a lot of trust with all the front office problems with, uh, between the players last year, and especially the fans. I mean, Elway has to win this draft and he's not going to do that by taking a Mayfield or the you know the the third best quarterback in the top tier. Um, but if he goes out, maybe gets Lamar Jackson. That's a low risk in the you know middle of the round. Yeah, but do you want to waste a first round pick on Lamar Jackson like trading back? You know what I mean? Like if they like trade back to if they trade back to like fifteen, sixteen. You know, with Cardinals, uh, Ravens. You know, somewhere around there. You know, are you going to argue with? Jackson pick there. Well, and I would because I think, you know, my biggest takeaway going into this is that I I don't want to see 
the Broncos move down. I want to see some aggressiveness with this draft and the Broncos. If anything, I want them to try and get back into the first round with a second first round pick some way, somehow, because I think that, you know, with, with where our team, and this is, and this is the biggest thing that I think that really, really pissed me off with their case Keenum signing, because I didn't want to go out there and overpay for a free agent quarterback that we can't put a team around right now. I mean, you know, there was talks of Kirk Cousins and then Case Keenum, and you're talking about all this money for these guys that are going to come into a team that is not built ready to win. They're not. You know, Case Keenum was on a team that was ready to win. They have a stellar defense in Minnesota. They have a great offensive line. They have two amazing running backs in Murray that they picked up from Oakland, and then McKinnon just shot out of a cannon this year. I mean, and and then you have uh, – you know, great receiving core. You have Kyle Rudolph as a tight end. I mean, that team is ready to win now for the next two, three years. They will contend in the AFC, in the NFC. And so they went out and got Kirk Cousins, overpaid, yes, but whatever. That was your last piece to bring in a solid quarterback to take that team over the hump because that team is stacked top to bottom, ready to win. The Broncos are nowhere close to their Super Bowl years. Not even close. They've lost defensive players. We're cutting guys for, you know, cap dollars. Our offense is absolutely horrendous. We can't block anybody. We have a really, really, I mean, just who knows what's going on with our receiver core. You know, is Emmanuel Sanders going to be able to stay healthy? I hope so. Is DT going to catch 50% of his balls? I hope so. I mean, we, we don't even know about Jake Butt as a tight end yet. Today... You know, we just cut C.J. Anderson. So, you know, we ditched his money, which is good for the team. But it's like, what are we doing, you know, when it comes to the running back position? Booker's not an every-down guy. I, I don't trust him to be the playmaker we need him to be. Anderson last year in the preseason was absolutely stellar as a playmaker. But, you know, word has it that he can't pick up the playbook and that he's not, you know, studying the way he needs to and he's having trouble with the concept. So who knows what he's going to be you know, availability-wise this year. I mean, you have Vaughn Miller in his prime, and that is it. So you overpay for Case Keenum to come in here on a two-year deal, and everyone's like, well, it's a two-year deal. It's friendly to the Broncos. They can be out of it in two years. It's like, yeah, but you paid him all this money, so now it's like they're so eager to get a team around him. So why are you going to go draft a quarterback? I didn't want them to overpay for a free agent, but if you're going to overpay for a free agent, then you better figure out a way to put a team around this guy because you're not going to pay him 20 million dollars a year to go out and get a nine and seven eight and eight record that we could have gotten with Paxton Lynch Brock I mean Osweiler or you know Trevor Simeon like any one of those guys could have come in and played for absolutely nothing and given us the same record as this team is probably going to get if you don't do something for Case Keenum yeah and if you if you write out and it's two years is short it's really not because Vaughn Miller as a D end might only have you know, maybe two, three more years at the top of the league. And because we know that defensive players like that can fall to the wayside quickly. Well, look at J.J. Watt. He can't even stay healthy. He was top-notch, and now he, you never even see him. Exactly. I mean, you never know with these defensive ends or uh, linebackers how long they're going to last. You know, yeah, some of the big names, some of the historical greats, yeah, they lasted long. That's why they became so great. But you never know how long a player is going to last, how long they're going to stay in their prime. So you need to help that out with Vaughn right now. 
and a two-year expensive deal, I completely agree. Kirk Cousins was, was I feel, a bad, bad move because it was expensive. It's going to be hard with paying him that kind of money to build the team that you need within the next year or two um, with Kirk Cousins on the roster now. I think that with CJ gone, Case Keenum, you know, right? Cap room, Case Keenum. I, I, you know, or Case Keenum, sorry. Yeah. I think that uh, I think that that obviously opens up the cap room with letting CJ go. Um, but now you need to fill a spot at the running back. So you do that through the draft. You do that through free agents. If you draft a quarterback, you you're gonna usually you're gonna miss out on some of these top running backs at the top. Um, so I think. I mean, it's kind of hard now that they, you know, have the free agent quarterback signing that they do. You know, it's hard to come back from that now. But I still think you can work around it. Um, he is a he is a quarterback that should be able to do some good things for us. But we have to if you're if you're gonna pick him up in free agency, you have to go line. I feel in this draft or running back to give him something. Uh, to help him out and then get some uh, more uh, offensive linemen throughout the draft later in the draft because now you have to if you're if you're putting this kind of money into this free agent quarterback you have to put an offensive line in front of him this year if you want to see any changes from last year and you have to with now CJ gone and like you said them Booker not being a every down back field you have to put some playmaker behind him to get the pressure off of him. Yeah, um, I can't uh, can't really say much because <laughs> I uh, I'm kind of looking at the Broncos need to play this draft safe. Um, our first round picks they've been okay, but have we found much success in them over the past five years since Elway became GM? Well, no, and, and I'm not saying that Elway has killed the draft either. I'm just saying you know when he did have a top pick, he took Von Miller. And we've seen how that's paid out. I mean, the guy single-handedly won us a Super Bowl. Arguably, you could say single-handedly won us a Super Bowl. Um, you know, so that's that's my only thing to me with you saying, you know, move back and, you know, try and maybe collect some picks for that fifth round pick or fifth overall pick and stuff like that is that I, you know, I didn't like the Case Keenum signing, but now that we did it, you have to do something to, you know, put a team around him. If that's what you're truly wanting to do, if you want to invest $20 million in a quarterback for two years, then you better go all in and figure out how you're going to be competitive. Because for a guy to take up $20 million of our cap space over the next two years, it doesn't make sense to, you know, play this draft safe and then maybe, you know, pick up a Lamar Jackson, you know, because then, you know, what are you doing for your backup? Are you going to have Lamar Jackson automatically your backup? Are you going to sit him in third string? Like, you're going to have to take three quarterbacks. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're going to keep Paxton Lynch on the roster this year. I mean, they're still going to want to try and develop him and not count him out as a bust just yet. You know, so, I mean, it's like, you know, if they keep Paxton Lynch and they take one of the, you know, top four quarterbacks, you could say, in this draft at number five, obviously that top, you know, quarterback in this draft at number five is going to come in and automatically be your number two. Paxton Lynch is going to take a backseat to him. But, I mean, if you move back and, you know, later in the first or in the, first, you know, top of the second, take a Lamar Jackson or, you know, Jason Rudolph out of Oklahoma State, you know, one of those kind of guys, like, what are you doing with your quarterback room then? Like, who's the guy you're going to develop? And I think that's my biggest thing is that if you're not bringing in a guy that you believe is a franchise quarterback and is going to be able to take over in a year or two, you know, after the Case Keenum era that we're going to have here, 
then what are you doing? You might as well just reinvest that time back into Paxton Lynch, see if you can get him developed in this next year. Um, you know, under Case Keenum, you know, he's been a pro for a while now. He knows what he's doing. He's seen some success. He's been in some high, you know, profile, high pressure games. You know, maybe have him work with him a little closer and see how they, you know, work together and how Case Keenum can maybe shape him a little bit. But I mean, like I said, in all honesty, you're going to have Case Keenum here. He's still a young guy. You're going to have him coming in here and he pretty much realizes that he has two years to prove himself either to the Broncos or to the rest of the league so he can get another payday. And so he's playing to keep his job here over the next year and a half, you know, I would say, with the Denver Broncos. And the sad part is, is that if the Broncos do, don't do something to help him out, one, he's, he's going to end up injured because of our O-line, or two, he's going to end up not looking good. People are going to say that we overpaid him as a free agent, and that he was a one-year wonder in Minnesota, and his career will evidently be a backup quarterback for the rest of his life. And so I think that's the hard part here is that, you know, we brought in a guy like Brock Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, but, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're going to do this, go all in. And that's why I was saying if the Broncos are going to do this with Case Keenum and pay him all this money and bring him into the franchise, then I want to see them be aggressive in this draft. I want to see them, you know, at number five, if Saquon Barkley falls to us, you better snatch that dude up. I don't think he's going to. I don't think Cleveland's that stupid, but you know, you never know. I think that's the hard part because, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about Bradley Chubb and how awesome it would be to have a guy like Bradley Chubb and Von Miller across from each other rushing the quarterback and how immediately that would take our defense from where we are now losing to leave and losing a lot of guys that we have to top notch in the AFC West again because our pass rush would be so dominant that you know our DBs and you know guys that we're trying to get back into the mix and the flow here would you know have a little bit more room to play with. Obviously Bradley Roby I think is an amazing amazing player. I kind of liked him more in the dime package, nickel package, you know, not being a dominant every single you know play DB, but I think that he is very solid. He's made a lot of plays for us in the past. Chris Harris you know, obviously he had a little down the year last year, but I think he's going to be stellar. I thought Simmons, uh, you know, replacing Ward last year was a great player. He's high energy. He got into the mix, you know, down low and dirty, making tackles, you know, getting into the into the trenches a little bit. Um, you know, and Stewart, obviously, you know, he's aging a little bit, but I think that he's still a very solid player. Um, and we'll have to kind of see how our, you know, linebacking core kind of finishes out. But, you know, that... I wouldn't mind seeing that pick. I guess, you know, a Bradley Chubb wouldn't be that bad because if you think if he is what, you know, everyone's saying he is across from Vaughn Miller, you know, that really could take our defense to the next level. Quentin Nelson, I think, has to be at the top of the Denver Broncos board. I think that you have to solidify that offensive line. I think Bowles in his second year is going to make a lot of improvements. I think he did pretty well last year, but you could tell that, you know, his more athletic body hindered him a couple times, but I do like that he can move a lot. You know, he's not one of those big, you know, six, eight stiffs that they stick out there at the end of the line. Um, you know, he's athletic. He can move. I think if he gets a little more weight on him, a little more muscle, and he really refines, uh, you know, his technique there at the left tackle position, I think that he can groom into a really good left tackle. You've got to get some interior help uh, with Paradis and those guys inside, I think Quentin Nelson would be a awesome, awesome pick. I would celebrate that on draft night to no end because at least it shows that we're investing in one, the protection of Case Keenum, and two, a guy that is just relentless on the offensive line and especially in the running game. I mean, 
Quentin Nelson, you watch his highlight reel, you could just pull up a tape of any game and you're going to see this guy just demolish people. Obviously, he's going to be going up against a lot better competition in the NFL, but I mean, this guy is just ruthless, relentless, never gives up. He doesn't finish the play until the defender that he is blocking is on their back. So I love that mentality. I think that our offense needs that mentality. I think we've become really, really soft. You heard about all the stuff that happened last year in camp with the Denver Broncos between the offense and the defense and the fighting and, you know, Aqib Tlaib stirring up stuff because the offense was soft. And, you know, guys like Ron Leary were trying to, you know, take the leadership on the offensive end and be more physical. But to be honest, we are freaking soft on the offense for the Denver Broncos. And I don't know whose mentality it's coming off of. If it's, you know, our receivers, you know, kind of being the leaders of the team, you know, we don't really have, you know, an established O-line except for Matt Paradis, who's been the only consistent O-lineman for us over the past four or five years. Um, and then our quarterbacks have been, you know, running through the loops. I mean, we don't know who the starting quarterback is every single week last year. So I, I think that we need to establish some leadership. I think Quentin Nelson's a guy who can come in and immediately do that. I think Case Keenum has to be a guy who comes in and says, hey, my track record speaks for myself and I'm going to take this thing over. I was in the NFC Championship game last year. You all are going to be my team now, and I'm taking this thing, and I think he needs to come in with that mentality. Um, you know, but I think that you know, I just want to see the Broncos be aggressive. Just be aggressive. Be the unknown about what we are going to draft, but when you look around the league and you, uh, you know, read some of these um, reports, and a lot of these reports are saying how much interest we've shown in Baker Mayfield, and it just it confuses me why we're still why a quarterback would even be in our thought process right now because like you said we we need an offensive line um, Nelson you said would fill that obviously um, it would help out big but I mean I would I would almost lose all confidence in our front office if we did draft the quarterback because it's, it's almost like we just threw money away in the garbage for this. Um, you know, freeze and quarterback signing, and if you don't, if you go with a quarterback in this draft, you know, that's just a waste of a top five pick when you have so much talent out there right now. Like we said, the Chubb, Barkley, um, Nelson, there's so many players that would help our system and our team so much more in our weaknesses that would make our quarterbacks that we have on the roster right now so much more successful. And, you know, if we if we do stay at five, um, and obviously if Barkley is still there, I think that's top pick. I think that's what you have to that's where you have to go because of the talent that he brings, and you can hopefully get some good big offensive linemen later in the draft or through some more free agency and see what you can do there. Um, I did like what you said, Kobe, about Chubb uh, being on the other side of Vaughn. Um, you know, that would, that would be another duo that could be, you know, with unlimited potential. You never know uh, what Chubb's going to bring to the NFL, but if he's learning from Von Miller, if uh, he, he is as good as he looks in college, you know, maybe he can come straight in and just immediately help that defense. And obviously, if he helps defense, it could give that offense a little more motivation. Um, and if you give that offense more motivation, it could give back more motivation back to that defense because that defense looked unmotivated last year. It looked like they knew that they could not score with anybody. And no matter how well they played defensively, unless they forced, you know, multiple turnovers every single game and maybe even got a touchdown, that they knew that they weren't going to win the game. 
you have to get something offensively, I feel, um, more than defensively just to motivate this defense to start playing maybe back up to more closer to their potential. And I feel if if we have a quarterback in that first round, I just I, I feel like you're just you just threw away money that you just you know twenty million dollars a year you just threw away because I feel like if you're even if you're only wanting to keep Case Keenum for two years, you're you know it's it's still a, it's still a dead end road if you don't put anything around him. So if you draft quarterback and you waste this high of a pick that we're not used to having on another quarterback. And then you got more problems because you have more decision making in that quarterback position. I think it just it just it would put a wrinkle into the into the plan that that that's not even necessary. So hopefully, I feel that they're not looking quarterback, um, and they hopefully do you know go with you know a Barkley if he's still there or a Nelson um, at that point. Uh, I'm going to chime in here real quick. I like everything you guys are saying about Barkley and uh, Chubb, right? I'm the stat guy. I think I'm going to be the glorified stat person just pulling out random historical stats. Share this with you guys last week. Let's look at fifth ra- or, uh, the fifth overall pick in the NFL history of, of overall first-round drafts, right? Fifth picks, let's take a look at the quarterback in the first round. We got Mark Sanchez. We got, uh, we got Kerry Collins. We got Jim McMahon and uh, Greg Cook in 1969. That's it. Uh, I think that speaks for itself. So, again, what you guys said, let's stay away from the QB. Yeah. I mean, if, we, if, we, if we go QB, it'll, it'll just, just pick me off, honestly. Oh, yeah. It, it, it looks like the, there's been three very successful uh, positions with the fifth pick overall, and that's been running back, DB, and then linebackers. He's not a very strong linebacker right now outside of uh, Roquan Smith, and I don't think he deserves a fifth overall pick. <clears throat> George, shout out. But there's a very strong DB that's going to could add his name to the Hall of Famers, like Deion Sanders, like Quentin Jammer's probably going to be, like Brian Westbrook's probably going to be, like Eric Berry, Patrick Peterson, uh, Jalen Ramsey from Florida State two years ago. The list could, I mean, there's literally like almost 10 DBs with the fifth pick that were just incredible. Let's get Fitzpatrick if he's on the board. Let's just do yeah, it. Yeah, I get a hold of you. Know, I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind that pick either. I think, um, you know, obviously if you shore up the defense a little more, you still have time to shore up that offensive line and maybe find something somewhere, whether it's late in the draft or free agency to get that uh, running back position filled. Um, I, I, I really would not mind at all if they went DB um, at that fifth pick, um, you know, because he is a great DB and he can make a lot of plays. And uh, I think if you put him into our defensive system, you know, I think he could do great things for us. See, so here's here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the draft history for the Denver Broncos. Okay. So one thing, no, one thing that John Elway has done really, really well since he took over as the president of football operations with the Denver Broncos is draft in the late rounds, okay? Let me give you a little rundown here, okay? So when he took over, we had the number two overall pick. He took Von Miller, obviously a great pick. That same draft in the fourth round, he took Julius Thomas. Amazing pick. Julius Thomas 
although he had his injuries, came in and played phenomenal with Peyton Manning, got his payday in Jacksonville, and you really haven't heard from him since. But great player in our system with Peyton Manning when he was doing all that work. Okay, In 2012, he took Derek Wolf in the second round. He's been a great player. You know, Obviously, some injuries and off-the-field issues he's had going on, but he's been solid when he can stay on the field. Um, and then uh, what else? In 2012, in the fifth round, he took Malik Jackson. Amazing player, part of that Super Bowl team, got his payday down in Jacksonville. Then you have in the sixth round of 2012, he got Danny Trevathan, amazing player, played really, really well for us on the Super Bowl team, got his payday in Chicago. So, I mean, you know, the list goes on and on as you kind of go through, you know, what John Elway's been able to do late in the rounds. I mean, sixth round 2014, he got Matt Paradis. He's been the most consistent player on our O-line. Uh, great pick there. Obviously, he's had some misses here and there, but, you know, it, it, it comes. 2014, our first round pick, pick 31 overall, Bradley Roby. Great defensive pick there. Um, 2015, we got Shane Ray in our first round. You know, he's been a good, decent player. You know, injuries and those kind of things. We got to get some weight on him. We'll see what happens, um, you know, as, as we move forward, um, you know, with him. Um, and then we got uh, Darius Kilgo, you know, in that round too. Obviously, a guy who hasn't seen, you know, much of the field. He's had a few injuries, things like that. But, um, you know, he has been a good player. Um 2016, he got Andy Janovich in the sixth round. I think that Andy Janovich is an amazing player. I know the fullback is, you know, almost obsolete in the NFL, but Andy Janovich really is a great, you know, steady uh, blocker, receiver out of the backfield. He's gonna been a good player for us. Um, Devontae Booker in the fourth round, obviously has been a very solid player for us when he stayed healthy. Um, Connor McGovern, um, out of Missouri, uh, the number five, uh, fifth round pick in 2016. I think McGovern is a great offensive lineman. Um, they're not sure if he's really going to play center or guard or what's going on yet, but he, you know, I think he really has the potential to be a great player going into his third year now. Um, you know, and then 2017, it's kind of the unheard of draft. We don't really know yet. You know, we got Garrett Bowles in the first round. We got Jake Butt in the fifth round. He's been injured. We'll see what happens. Chad Kelly, um, Mr. Irrelevant in the seventh round. Um, and then D'Angelo Henderson in the sixth round, Isaiah McKenzie in the fifth round. We all know how that one played out. Um, not, not to our liking, um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see what happens this year. So, you know, like I said, I think that, you know, obviously there's going to be misses every single year, but we've had some late round picks with John Elway picking in the draft for us that have panned out really well. And they helped, you know, a lot of those guys helped us win a Super Bowl. Now, obviously we couldn't pay everybody, you know, we had to take care of Von Miller and a few other guys, number one. Um, you know, so a lot of guys left to other teams to get their payday after winning Super Bowl and having great years with us here in Denver. But, you know, we have done pretty well in the later rounds, especially building that defense. I mean, if you think about the draft picks I just named and then you talk about the free agents that we brought in, you know, for those Super Bowl Peyton Manning years and Aqib Tlaib and, and uh, Ward and a few of those other guys, uh, DeMarcus Ware, um, you know, like I said, we really built – you know, that that team up through the draft with some very key placed free agents on the defense and offensive end. So I think, you know, in terms of, you know, defense, like you guys are talking, you know, maybe with Fitzpatrick or, you know, somebody like that at the number five pick. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it may end up being an amazing pick, but could we, you know, find that, 
you know, underrated guy in maybe the third or fourth round like John Elway has done before that could come in and still make the same impact as a, you know, as a, a ward out of Ohio State or, a, um, you know, Fitzpatrick out of Alabama? Well, and, uh, you know, I see what you're saying there, and it, uh, they obviously have panned, well, panned out well for us. And, um, you know, that, but that also makes that that first fifth, uh, fifth overall pick, that I almost feel that much easier. If he can, if, if they're having that much success later rounds and there's um, potentially – Barkley still available, then I think you just go with Barkley or or Nelson. I think those are your two top priorities right now where we should be looking because if we can have late round success like he's proven to have, then you take one of these top players right here, Barkley or Nelson, to sure up that offensive line or give you a playmaker in the backfield. And then, yes, hopefully you get some uh, underrated guys um, later in the round or later in the draft and you can get a great uh, base started if you if, if you don't go quarterback here in that first round. I'm not saying that we're going to, you know, find those diamonds in the rough that are going to help us win a Super Bowl this year later in rounds. I'm just saying, you know, looking, right, yeah, yeah, looking at that from, you know, the aspect of how John Elway has been drafted and since Timmy brought that up, you know, that's just kind of how I look at, you know, this draft. And I think over the past three months, you know, I've even called into the, local radio station shows here in Denver. I've texted in on the text line. Like I, I have been adamant about needing to sure up our offensive line and that Quentin Nelson undoubtedly should be the number five pick overall in this year's draft to the Denver Broncos because we know he's going to be there. Everyone's going to be quarterback crazy in the first four picks. Now, obviously, you know, like I said, when a few of the mock drafts came out that showed four quarterbacks could go in the top four picks, um, you know, or like I said, if a Bradley Chubb goes to uh, Cleveland, you know, if they don't trade away that fourth pick and they, you know, maybe take a Bradley Chubb or, you know, Fitzpatrick or something like that on the defensive side of things, I think you have to take Saquon Barkley and then just try for another um, old lineman, you know, maybe later in the first if they trade up or in the second round, um, you know, because there are a few others out there that are very good offensive linemen for this year. I don't think any of them are Quentin Nelson. But, um, you know, I think you've got to just take Quentin Nelson. And that's one of the things I told one of the radio shows, and I don't know if I've told you guys this, um, you know, when I called in was, you know, you look at, you know, the biggest thing I look at is the, the Dallas Cowboys from two years ago in the 2016 season, okay? They had an offensive line that was rated number one in the NFL. They brought in... Um, you know, obviously their defense wasn't, you know, as good, you know, obviously, um, you know, they've always kind of struggled on the defensive end with that kind of stuff, um, you know, but they, you know, they have some dudes, they just, you know, sometimes get injured or, you know, they have troubles with it. I mean, aha, Clinton Dix has been a good player, um, you know, for them. Uh, you know, I think that there's Dallas Cowboys. Now, obviously they haven't always had the best defense, but, you know, in 2016, they have the number one, uh, you know, rated offensive line. They come in and they pick Ezekiel Elliott in the first round. And then they bring in Dak Prescott as what was he, a third or fourth round pick. And they have a fourth round. There you go. So fourth round pick. And they have a 13 and three season. 
and you see the stats that Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott had in their first year. I mean, they both come in as rookies. Dak Prescott, the most like underrated guy. Tony Romo gets hurt, expecting this huge season, and Dak Prescott steps in, and no one knows what's going to happen, and he leads that team to a 13-3 and record. You know, they had Daz Bryant on the outside. They had Beasley. They had some big-time, you know, playmakers around him. But the key was that offensive line. And it just, you know, just, I mean, drove the train for the entire Dallas Cowboys team. And if they had a defense, they probably would have won in the playoffs that year. But they didn't. And that's the story of the Dallas Cowboys. They always find a way to blow it. So that's that's my biggest thing with the Denver Broncos moving forward is why not sure up every single piece of this offense and make sure that it is as stellar as we can possibly make it in the next two years, next year, next two years to where if Case Keenum ends up being the guy and he plays really well for us, all right, we can re-sign him. If not, we can bring in a free agent quarterback or we can draft a big time quarterback, whatever it may be that can come in to an offensive line that is absolutely stacked with playmakers on the outside that are ready to go now it may not be dt it may not be emmanuel sanders but you know hopefully if jake butt becomes what we want him to that would be awesome you know we'll see what you know d'angelo henderson turns into hopefully a big time playmaker booker is still very very young only in his third year he could you know really develop into a big time playmaker this year especially with cj anderson gone i mean you know do this and then we already have a defense that's better than most you know, you can put Von Miller on any defense and it's automatically going to make them better. We got Chris Harris Jr. We got Bradley Roby. I mean, we got some guys there and we can still build it through the draft. So that's all I'm saying is be aggressive in this draft. Get that offensive line to where we need it to be to be successful. Because you look at every single team last year that made it deep in the playoffs and they had a stellar, stellar offensive line and defensive line. And that's why they made it so far because they own the line of scrimmage. Dominate the line of scrimmage. That's what our coach in college used to always tell us. Dominate the line of scrimmage, and I promise you will be either competitive or winning ball games majority of the time. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree. I um, you know, I loved I loved watching the Dallas Cowboys um, these last couple of years. I think. And you told me that and pissed me off two years ago. We had this discussion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it really was. I you know, even with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott being as talented as they are. And, making some of the incredible plays that they could, I still found myself watching that offensive line uh, because it just, you watch that offensive line work and, you know, I don't know the behind the scenes and the game plan and stuff like that on offensive lines and defensive lines as you do um, with your, with your collegiate days. But, you know, it was, it was incredible to watch that team or that offensive line work the way they did. It seemed like every single running play they were pushing dudes back four and five six yards usually one or two dudes ended up on the ground at least on their backs um you know pass pass rushes sometimes they send blitzes six seven dudes and i mean they just they formed an umbrella that nobody could get around it was incredible to watch and when it when you're when you're winning in the trenches like you said like that it makes everything else so much easier when they were rookies they were looking like veterans like top veterans in the entire league because of how easy their jobs were. And obviously, you know, that's what everybody wants to do. And that's what we need to do because, you know, like we said, we, we do have um, good playmakers on the offensive end right now. You know, if, 
DT can perform to his potential as we've seen him do with Manning. If he's getting the passes that he needs, if he's getting them where he needs them or whatever is going on with him with his drop ball, if he can get back maybe to some of that um, incredible talent that he is, then if you get that offensive line shirt up, you know, our offense, our offense will be productive again. And once our offense gets productive again, like I said, I think our defense was unmotivated last year. And I think if you, if the offensive, if the offense shows that they can um, put points on the board or, or at least move the ball and they're not, and the defense isn't on the field all game, I think this defense is actually still better than most people give it credit for. Maybe it's not the Super Bowl winning defense, um, but this defense is still, I think, way better than average because uh, last year they were just on the field constantly and they were unmotivated. And I think if you get that motivation back and they're not and you're sharing the field more with your offense and you're not uh, being defense um, on the field all the time, then I think that defense can really get back to a very, very elite level. Well, and just, you know, just on your point there, I mean, Demarius Thomas is only 30 years old, you know, during this 2018 season. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, he's completely, you know, done for his career. I mean, he can still produce for another probably, you know, three, four seasons at a high level, I would say, if he, you know, takes care of his body and does the right thing. So I think that, you know, like I said, under the right, you know, system with a good, consistent quarterback, I think that's one of the biggest hits if you look at, DT and Emmanuel Sanders, I mean, you look at the quarterbacks that they've gone through in the past two, three years after Peyton Manning, it, you know, it's kind of hard to build that camaraderie when you don't know who's your quarterback and they're constantly injured. You're constantly rotating them to see who's going to be the better fit. So I think that, you know, I think Sanders and Thomas can still be very productive over the next couple of years. If they get some consistency, they get, you know, a quarterback that can, you know, build some camaraderie with some chemistry and they can still produce. Does anybody know, um, is Ty Manziel redeclaring for the draft? I don't know. He threw two touchdowns in his first, like, little <laughs> developmental league game, and he was all jacked about it. Yeah, let's get him in here. <laughs> so, <clears throat> real quick, just want to just wanna let you guys know here. Um, back to the Dallas Cowboys, as I, as I was kind of talking about, Tim was talking about. In 2016... Ezekiel Elliott rushed for 1,600 yards and 15 touchdowns. He averaged 5.1 yards per carry. He also received 32 receptions for 363 yards and one touchdown, total of 16 touchdowns on the entire year. Um, and then Dak Prescott rushed for 282 yards. Now, most of that is on scrambles, but... He did score six TDs, um, you know, as well. Passing das Dak Prescott in 2016 was a 67.8% completion percentage, 3,667 yards, 23 touchdowns, four interceptions. I mean, those are outstanding numbers for a pro quarterback, much less a rookie pro quarterback. So now... If we look at 2017, and I think, you know, 2017 numbers obviously have to be impacted more due to Ezekiel Elliott's, um, you know, six-game suspension. And obviously they had a few, I think they had one or two injuries on the offensive line and weren't really sure what was going on there. But um, 
you know, with missing six games, Ezekiel Elliott still rushed for 983 yards and seven touchdowns. So he still was almost a thousand yard rusher in only 10 games played because of that stellar offensive line that they had and still scored seven touchdowns. Um, Receiving, he had 269 yards receiving with two touchdowns. And Dak Prescott only went nine and seven in this year. So 13 and three down to nine and seven. Dak Prescott still had 63% completion percentage, 3,300 yards with 22 touchdowns and 13 interceptions this year. So when you look at those, I mean, you just look at the stats and let the numbers speak for themselves. And Timmy, you had said that before, you know, with the numbers. Look at the numbers of those two players in their first two years, one of which missed six games in his second year in the NFL, and they're putting up stats like that. And they have been what they're 20 and 10. What what were they? Uh 22 and 10 in their first two years. So they went 22 and 10 record in their first two years as a rookie and sophomore season, one of which missed six games which you could probably say would change that record from nine and seven to probably 12 and four, maybe, you know, 11 and five, potentially if, you know, Ezekiel Elliott was in there, that shows you what an offensive line can do. That right there proves that if you have a stellar offensive line, you can bring in good quality players. Maybe wasn't dominant, but could get teams off the well, exactly. And I know that they've drafted defensive guys, you know, over the past few years that are starting to pan out for them. And I'm not saying that their defense is terrible, but that's never been what the Cowboys are known for. Um, you know, but like I said, I mean, it's just it's astounding to look at those numbers and say, holy cow, you know, Dak Prescott, a guy that everyone passed on, no one thought was worth anything. He was a fourth round pick, comes in and produces like that because he's got time to throw, he's got great receivers to throw to, and he has a stud in the backfield who says, hey, defense is going to be all over me all game, so you can do whatever you want to do. And then Ezekiel Elliott says, I can still rush for 1,000 yards. Like, you won't stop me. You can put five guys on me, you still won't stop me. Now, obviously, the Denver Broncos proved that wrong in the second game of the year, but, you know, that's whatever. How many times told you guys that uh, I think that Cleveland, or that Cleveland uh, Brown front office is, the worst in sports history because once again they're looking to probably pick up a quarterback in this first round within their first two picks and have no team around them no offensive line and that quarterback's probably going to fall to the wayside i just feel that you know we're back at the same thing where these quarterbacks getting picked this early to the teams that are projected to be drafting them um they're all going to teams where they're all going to fall flat on their face because they have nothing around them like we've been talking about. They have no offensive lines. They have no playmakers or they only have playmakers and no offensive line or they, you know, only have a player in the backfield with no, with no other playmakers on the outside with no offensive line. So yes, I, you know, we, we need, every team needs to go offensive line. But then again, you know, if, if Barkley's still there, I think he's too good of a, of a player to pass on. And then, like you said, we can still build a great offensive line um, throughout the later the later end of the draft. And, um, you know, I think that's just how we got to move it. So here's one thing, guys, and we'll kind of wrap up the draft here in just a minute. But looking at the, uh, the NFL.com draft uh, mock drafts, and this is, Timmy, you said something. 
I got Bucky Brooks, Charles uh, Casserly, Maurice Jones-Drew, and Chad Reuter here with their mock drafts that they all posted here in the last week or two. Okay, so this is something that's really, really intriguing to me. Okay, at number six overall, they all have the exact same player going to the Indianapolis Colts if the Colts stay at six. Can you guess what player that would be given the team? And I'll, I'll give the hint quarterback that the Indianapolis Colts have. I'm going to have to go with uh, maybe Baker Mayfield. Okay, Tanner's got Baker Mayfield coming in to a program that has Andrew Luck, uncertain with his health. Timmy, who you got? Who you got? The, the, these four guys are all taking the same player in their mock draft for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I mean, I'm staring at it, so. Oh, Timmy. You sent me the link, and now you're looking at it, man. <laughs> good, good guess, Tim. I, I know you know it, but so, so, so Tanner knows it's Quentin Nelson. So how how does that not put into perspective how important the offensive line is for protecting your quarterback? Because they have a stud quarterback who's proven when healthy he can absolutely own the NFL, and he's been injured has not been protected whatsoever his entire career in Indy. And they, all four of them, have the Indianapolis Colts taking Quentin Nelson to beef up that offensive line. That I mean, that's all, that's all I'm going to say right there. I mean, obviously, you have four guys that are in the NFL. They work for NFL Network. They are talking with teams. They know what they're doing. And they have all four of them taking Quentin Nelson because they need to protect Andrew Luck. So, Broncos, don't let them do that. You take Quentin Nelson to protect Case Keenum. I know that Case Keenum isn't as big a name as Andrew Luck, but who knows? He might win a Super Bowl before Andrew Luck. So, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. Well, <laughs> he, did, he did. You can only go up from N-A, 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 N-A. Okay, so my last question for you guys on the draft here. Tanner, I'll, I'll start with you. Number one, how do the Browns win this draft? And how did the Browns completely falter in this draft in 2018 with two top five picks? With two top five picks to win, I think the Cleveland Browns have to completely stay away from a quarterback. I think they need to go with Saquon Barkley, first pick. And depending on who's left by the time they get back four, um, honestly, probably the smartest pick would be a Quentin Nelson. Um, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? I was hoping you wouldn't say it because that's what I was going to say. Because if I'm the Browns and I'm taking Saquon Barkley number one, I'm taking Quentin Nelson number two because you just lost Joe Thomas to retirement, and I'm making sure I protect my guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, like we said, I mean, if they draft quarterback and they still have the awful team that they have, you know. Quarterback's not going to do a damn thing. We've been proven. We've talked about it. You know, quarterbacks can't do anything without a team around them. So, honestly, I think if they want to win, they go Barkley first, uh, Nelson second, or a fourth if they if he's, you know, obviously still there. Um, if, for some reason, Quentin Nelson does go uh, at two or three, then I think you go Chubb um, to give you some defensive presence. Okay. To me, what do you think? How do the Browns win or lose this draft? If you want to win, put movie in. Uh, I say that you go with the running back for the Browns, and which is of course Barkley. 
get them their stud of the future to put around a future quarterback. And then I say that just kind of looking at their roster, you know, skimming through it again, I mean, I think Bradley Chubb might actually be great to pair with Miles Garrett on the defensive line for years to come, too. Yeah. yeah. So, they're feeding off that best set over there, too. So. Yeah, feeding off what Tanner said. They win this draft by not picking a quarterback. Okay. Yeah, they, they immediately lose this draft in my eyes if they go quarterback. In either. Yeah, and I, I think they lose this draft if they take Mayfield number one and Lamar Jackson number four. <laughs> Well, it's, I was telling Tanner, Big Al here on 104.3 The Fan, um, who uh, played for the Denver Broncos during our Super Bowl years um, and played at CU uh, for the Buffaloes, um, you know, one of his, you know, half-jokingly, half-serious takes on the Cleveland Browns was, take two quarterbacks. You have the pick of the litter, take two quarterbacks, one at one, at one, one at four, and then you make sure that your next 10 years are covered because you have two of the top four picks and you take two quarterbacks so you know that you have your franchise guy for the next 10 years because it'll weed itself out. And he said if all else fails, if they both look good in preseason, then you have trade bait for one of them to one of the teams that wanted to pick a quarterback and couldn't. So I kind of like that take too, but um, it was funny. And it, and it wasn't, but like I said, there's no guarantee that they both play well, and then who knows, their draft uh, stock may drop. Yeah. Well, and you could still trade him during the draft, too. So, I mean, there's no play there. But um, just to let you guys know here, okay, over the past six years, the Cleveland Browns have had 11 first-round picks. 11 first-round picks in the past six years. That's an average of just under two per first round. I mean, that's pretty amazing to think of. And you look at their first-round picks, 2014, they took Justin Gilbert, defensive back, and Johnny Menzel. Obviously, Johnny Menzel. You know, probably not the best pick, uh, you know, for them there. Okay, 2015, they took Danny Shelton, nose tackle, Cameron Irving, center, and uh, Nate Orchard, uh, defensive end. But Duke Johnson was their third-round pick in 2015, who has been a good player for them, um, you know, over the past couple years. Okay, 2016, they take Corey Coleman, wide receiver. He was, uh, you know, injured a little bit, but he really did, I mean, show out this last year from Baylor. I thought he was a great player, good receiver for them. I picked him up on fantasy a couple times, um, you know, so I think that he's going to, you know, develop into a good player if he can stay healthy. Um, and then obviously last year they took Miles Garrett, Jabril Peppers, uh, you know, who was injured last year, and then uh, David Njoku, uh, uh, as a tight end, who I thought played really well for them as well. I think he was a good playmaker. He had some good um, some good things take place. Um, he had 32 receptions, 386 yards, and four touchdowns as a tight end. That's not bad considering who was throwing in the ball, uh, their second-round pick to Sean Kaiser. So it gives you kind of an idea of what the Browns have done, you know, over the past, what is that now, four, three years? They've gone quarterbackless in the first round and really – built that defense and playmakers on the offense um, up in that first round. So like I said, I think that they're trending up. I think that they, you know, have kind of learned from, you know, their mistakes in the past. They're kind of, you know, done licking their wounds and they're kind of building a team to bring, you know, a quarterback into and other playmakers into to make plays and get this thing done. So we will see what happens on draft night. It's 10 nights away. I'm excited. We'll see what the Broncos do. We'll see how the top five plays out there's still probably a lot of trades and things like that to take place um, but it will be interesting to see 
um, what happens there. So um, transition. Well, I mean, that that's what the past is showing us. I mean, that's, you know, like I said, I know that everyone has them going quarterback, you know, because they want to find the quarterback of the future. They want to find who's going to be the guy to take the reins and really, you know, go all in. Now, Deshaun Kaiser had some times last year that looked pretty good. You're bringing in a guy like Tyrod Taylor, who's been a consistent guy in Buffalo. You know, he's kind of, you know, gone under hard times with the team up there. Um, you know, I mean, gosh, you could say Tyrod Taylor and, and Shady McCoy were, you know, single-handedly bringing that team to the playoffs last year to just, you know, eke in at the very end. Um, you know, so I think that he's going to be a playmaker. He's got a team around him. But, you know, like like we've said, I think, you know, I, I agree. I think the Browns win this draft, and, and it would hurt the Broncos. But I think as the Browns, you take Saquon Barkley, number one, you get him off the board. You don't, you don't leave it up for chance for another team to, you know, sweep him up. And number four, I think you got to take Quentin Nelson. You know, you lose Joe Thomas, a longtime Hall of Fame left tackle. I think you got to bring in a Quentin Nelson to really shore up that offensive line and make sure that you're able to produce for Saquon Barkley. Because the last thing you want to do is bring in a talent like Saquon Barkley and have him wash out in three years because he took too much of a beating. He couldn't get out in the open field. He couldn't make plays because they didn't have the offensive line to do anything for him. Um, so I think that that's how you got to go. At number two, I think, you know, the pick is very intriguing uh, to the Giants because, you know, some people have in a mock draft them trading it away. Some people have them taking a quarterback of the future. And I tell you what, if I'm one of these, you know, you could call them top three, top four, top five quarterbacks. I'm hoping that the Giants take me at number two because then, you know, you're coming in. You can sit for a year. You can learn the NFL. You can learn the playbook and you get to work under Eli Manning. I mean, like I said, Eli Manning, all the stuff that's said about him and his character, uh, you know, on the field and his enthusiasm and those kind of things. The guy can play football. He's shown it. He has two rings to prove it. You know, he's the only guy that's been able to take down Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in the past however many years. Uh, you know, so I think that if, if I'm a quarterback in this draft, I'm really, really hoping that I go number two to the Giants because of what you could have over the next year or two as Eli Manning gets either to retirement or whatever going to set what's going to happen there. Um, and then you can kind of have a start fresh start, uh, you know, in New York with the giants there. So it's going to be interesting to see what takes place with the draft. I, I mean, I'm excited. I just hope that it's not a, you know, not a depressing night for me with my Broncos. So uh, transitioning here real quick, um, our Denver nuggets had a playing game last week against, uh, against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, what, what was your guys' thoughts on the game? I know it was a, a tough one to lose. You know, we were up with a minute left, and then to have it go down, everything that did. Um, you know, what what were you guys' thoughts on the season for the Nuggets, the game, not making the playoffs again? You know, what's going on with this roster? Uh, well, you know, I um, I feel like it was still a successful year for the Denver Nuggets. I think we found out a lot about ourselves. I think we should have learned from this late playoff run maybe what this team needs. Um, it needs either a leader to come up through the ranks from somebody on the team, or maybe we need to go somewhere else to find maybe a bigger leader or maybe somebody that uh, you can count on at the end. I think uh, Jamal Murray um, showed great um, attitude and had that killer mentality at the end of the game, and I think we should have gotten him the ball more in overtime. Um, I feel like we should have gotten him the ball again in regulation as well. Um, I mean, I, I 
hard to argue with them going to Jokic at the end of that game. Um, with him being kind of our, our, you know, best scorer, our most consistent scorer. But then again, you know, he wasn't at that time of the game really the focal point. I think Jamal Murray got back into that game. He, he uh, had, you know, kind of that eye um, going where he just wasn't going to be denied. Uh, and I think he's a great piece for the future. I hope we keep him around. Um, uh, as far as the game, I think um, it was a little bit – I mean, I think both sides were a little bit unexperienced, but I think with them having Jimmy Butler um, and I think them having Towns there in the center disrupting everything the way he did, it just made it tough at the end of the game because I think our team was a little bit uh, discombobulated at the end of the game. They didn't really know what was going to happen, who was going to take control. And I think that little bit of uh, indecision led to the loss. I think uh, in overtime, I think Timberwolves showed that they wanted it more. And I think that was from the leadership of Butler and Towns. I think um, we didn't have anybody step up in overtime with that leader role, with the, uh, anybody wanting to put the uh, pedal down and, and uh, attack them. Uh, I was really disappointed. Um, in the coaching staff and the players not to attack uh, Towns in that second half because he had three fouls in the first half and we should have done our best to try and take it at Towns and get that fourth or maybe even fifth foul early in the second half because if you would have been had to have been uh, on the bench for that second half, I don't even think it would have been a game. I think... Um, I don't feel like they. Uh, I don't think they took advantage of of that of getting him into foul trouble early in the game. I don't think that they finished the game with that mentality to try and keep him off the floor, um, which I think was a big part because I feel like if Towns isn't in there, Jokic dominates that second half. Uh, so that was kind of frustrating. Um, obviously, it hurt to watch them lose the way they did in overtime. They weren't aggressive enough in overtime. Um, uh, you can see that from the foul shoot or from the foul shots. Um, I believe um, Minnesota has eight foul shots in overtime, and we had zero, and we both only made two field goals in overtime. So obviously, right there shows you that uh, they were more aggressive. Um, I feel like there was some missed calls, but you can't you can't blame it on that because uh, once again, like I said, usually the more aggressive team is the one that's going to benefit from the foul calls late in games. Um, and the Timberwolves were definitely that team over the Nuggets. I'll tell you why we lost. Um, obviously, I, I don't disagree um, with what you said. I think that, you know, there was a lot of merit to what you said. Um, Michael Malone left Wilson Chandler in the game for 48 minutes. Wilson Chandler played 48 minutes out of the 53-minute game when you include overtime. He had three field goal attempts and zero points. He was in there for defense against Butler, and Butler scored 31 points in the game. So don't don't give me the bullshit about he was in there for defense because he wasn't doing a very good job of defense, and he was not contributing whatsoever on offense. I watched one play where he sat in the corner with his hands on his hips. He didn't even want to be involved in the offense. Like, if you're not scoring, if you're not wanting to shoot the ball, you better damn sure make sure that you are out there setting screens 
hustling, being a distraction, whatever you can for your teammates because they needed every minute of those five players that night. And I don't know why Michael Malone left Wilson Chandler in there with zero. I mean, we we could have had anybody come off the bench and been more productive offensively and probably did just as bad. I'm saying just as bad defensively against Butler. Butler would still probably get his 31. But, hey, if we can get 10, 12 points out of someone else off the bench that would actually produce offensively or maybe a couple assists who would set up his team or maybe set some screens for his team or do something offensively, then we would have won the game still. So that was the biggest thing that just absolutely drove me crazy with that game is why Wilson Chandler was in there. And I understand that, you know, he has the face mask on. He may not feel comfortable shooting. That's fine. Then don't play him. He was messing with that mask the entire night. Every single time he ran back on offense or on defense, he was adjusting it. He was fidgeting with it. You know, then don't play. Then don't play with the mask. Man up and take your shots as you get them. Or, you know, if you want to sit on the bench and just sit out, that's fine too because you're not doing anything on the floor for us whatsoever. No, I, I agree. I, I did uh, I did say that. I, I completely forgot about the, the Chandler game. I was posting stuff on the other points. But I, I do completely agree. Yeah, that was, that was an embarrassment um, not only for Chandler but for that coaching staff because, you know, how can you, how can you watch somebody play for that long of a game and be that unproductive and still have him in there. So, yes, I, I do completely agree with that. What do you think, Tim? I'm going to go ahead and start off with the game, just just the uh, Timberwolves game. Um, we talked about it last week when we got together to chat, and, you know, we, we talked about how we needed Jokic to, to step up in the moment. And to be completely honest, I think the guy stepped up. He really did. Given given everything that was going on, no, he didn't he didn't hit the shots at the end of the game. Um, so so that was definitely an, an opportunity for future. Um, but the dude went out there, he scored, he played forty six minutes, he scored thirty five points, got ten rebounds. Like he went out there, and he really did lay it out on the line, you know. Um, but it didn't, but we talked about how he needed someone at the end of the game, and because of the way the game went, uh, Jamal Murray, yes, he has that killer instinct, but he wasn't in the zone. He wasn't shooting. He wasn't – he just didn't have that flow. Uh, it was – I mean, Will Barton was playing out of his mind. Yeah. Like, he didn't have the ball at the end of the game. He was. He was. And, but, I mean, uh, Jamal hit those, what, three straight possessions where he was uh, – he got us back into that game, you know, with four or five minutes left. And he, he had a great stretch. But – and I, and that, all I was saying was that – at that point, when he did what he did right there at the four or five minute mark, whatever it was, nobody else did anything offensively until the very end of the game. So to give the ball to Jokic in the awful position that he was, which I don't know if that was a bad call. I don't know if that was a bad play call or if he just didn't run it right because he it almost looked like he wanted to stop right there at the top of the key, which would have been a great position for him. Um, but he faded all the way out to the three, let him get let himself get pushed all the way out there. Um, you know, so that that was something that, you know, you don't know, really know if that was how it was drawn up or if that's just what uh Yogi's what happened. But uh, you know, and then other than that, you know, that mislay pissed me off. I mean, you gotta make that. He made a beautiful move. He's a he's a seven footer that should have easily been able to put that in. Uh, you know, but I know misses happened that you know, and he he did, he played well that whole game. I, I do agree, he played great that whole game. Uh, 
but he he just that that fourth quarter he just disappeared because he let uh, uh, Todd Gibson pull LeBron Well, he pulled a LeBron on us, and he was kind of he was too, yeah, he in the basket. He was passing off too yeah. much. Yep, and he just yeah. let Todd Gibson push him around. He he, he 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 was playing too soft at the end of the game, which um, you know is something that maybe he needs to work on late in the game because he knows that people are going to bring it more in late in the game, and when he's uh you know, potentially this European player that, you know, is looking almost to fall into the same thing as most European players just playing soft, that, you know, he needs he needs to step up late in the game and he needs to be able to get himself into those positions by using his body. I'll tell you this. Yeah, I, I hope that Jokic is gone next year. I hope he's not a nugget. You know what drives me crazy? Is you watch him. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that he's a bad player. I think he's a stud offensive player. And watching him in that third quarter where he didn't miss a shot was absolutely amazing to see. But what drives me crazy is when he gets hacked on the, you know, it looked like the wrist from Towns. Uh, you know, I think it was late in the third or early in the fourth quarter. And and I understand it. It looked like a foul. When they showed the replay, it looked like a foul. It looked like he got all arm. He didn't get ball. You know, it ends up being a turnover. And Minnesota's running down the court. Jokic immediately raises his hands, runs directly to the referee, and runs down the court in the referee's face complaining about the foul. Who are you? That's what I ask. Who are you, Jokic? You're not even a Western Conference all-star, albeit he probably, you know, could be depending on the year. But the Western Conference is pretty stacked when it comes to all-stars at the forward and center position. Who are you? to be running directly at the ref and running down the court with the referee while the play's still going on and you're leaving your team down a player on the defensive end as the Minnesota Timberwolves are coming down to score a bucket. Who are you to go directly to the referee and complain to him all the way down the court trying to get a call thinking that you should be getting something that you have not earned yet? Jokic is nobody in the NBA right now, and I think he needs to understand that because I'm so tired of turning into games and watching him complain, complain, complain about fouls. I'm tired of watching him play like James Harden where he goes in looking for the foul instead of looking to score the basketball. If the foul comes, so be it. But don't go in there looking for a foul. Don't go in there throwing your shoulders, losing the ball, throwing the ball away. There was one play with Will Barton where they came to screen and Will Barton lost his footing and fell on the ground. And Jokic was getting pressure from Todd Gibson, who completely took him out of that fourth quarter, as you two already stated. Todd Gibson, the man on defense against Jokic in the fourth. And Jokic sits there and throws the ball on the ground towards where Will Barton should be while he's on the ground. And it ends up being a turnover because Will Barton can't get up quick enough because he was on the ground. And Jokic throws his hands in the air like, oh my gosh, what the heck? Why couldn't you get that? Are you kidding me? That's what drives me crazy. I hope Jokic is not on the Nuggets next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. He needs to toughen up. He needs to change his attitude. And he's still young enough that I think that that can happen. So to throw him away by next year, I think would be a mistake. I'm going to have to disagree with you there. But I do completely agree with what you said. He, he needs to change his mentality. He needs to... He needs to get that fire under him and that chip on his shoulder wanting to earn it. But then again, on top of that, I mean, I hate the fact that referees referee that way in the NFL or in the NBA. You need, you know, if it's a foul, it's a foul. It doesn't matter who it is or who it's on. 
Um, that's something that, you know, the NBA obviously needs to sure up. Um, but who knows? That'll probably never happen. Um, you know, that's just hopeful thinking. But to throw him away this early when he still has time to change, when he's as great of a player as he is, potential-wise, um, I think it's too early to say that. But, yes, I do completely agree. He's soft. He complains. Um, he even made a point uh, to the media saying that uh, he was going to um, try to be easier on the refs. And uh, I feel like he didn't do that at all. I think he needs to take some steps in maturity and learn his place. And he definitely, definitely needs to toughen up and not get pushed around, not to whine as much. And he needs to, even if he's not the focal point, he, he, he's a great player to have on your team because of the things that he can do offensively. Um, defensively, he needs to get tougher. You know, that's just, that'll just come with the toughness. But like I said, he's got, he's got a lot. He's got a great amount of potential. He just needs to reach it by changing up some things and changing his attitude. Tim, final thoughts? Yep. Uh, well, so to finish up real quick, before I was so rudely interrupted. You're kidding. You're good. You're good. Um, so from the game, I saw it, and I texted you guys this. I think it was at like the 10-minute mark in the fourth quarter where I said, this game's over before they went on that crazy run. But I, you know, they lacked urgency. I, they didn't. They weren't running around playing the game like they wanted to win. You know, and I think I think the age spoke to that. Because let's be honest, Paul Millsap has never been known for that ener energetic person. So there wasn't a veteran there to help pump them up, aside from Richard Jefferson. And I don't even know if he played in the game. No. Or if he was even there in the stadium. So you have 23, 23, 21. That's the age of Harris, Jokic, and Murray. And that those age ages they they just they didn't know that urgency so that they, they had a lot of confidence but confidence could be sometimes too much to where they weren't pushing the ball enough they weren't taking those extra steps on defense they weren't helping out quick enough just that sense of urgency was gone well, and see, i think that's why they lost the game that's see that's the scary thing too because it's like do you really need veteran leadership? I know everybody talks about how much experience and leadership and all that helps, and I get it, and I, I, I can see that point as well. But they're 21, 22, 23, like you said. Um, so they're young. They're in phenomenal shape. They are in a playoff run. They looked like during this uh, winning streak that they were on uh, before, obviously, that Minnesota Timberwolves last game of the year. Um, they had that urgency. So how how did it fall off? How do you not? How at that age, with a chance to get into your first uh, NBA playoffs for all of them, how do you, how do you not have that urgency just deep down inside yourself as a competitor? That's what's scary. I think, I think they, they had it, but Minnesota had it more, and it took it away from them. Yeah, and I and I I can I can see that too. Um, but and, and and like you said, I mean that's that's why they won the game. You were, I think, you're right there too, because we were there at the end of the game. We had chances, and I think they, um, you know, they wanted it more than we did. But that's not I mean, Scotty Gibson won that game for them. A veteran. Oh, he played. He, he, he that that for that. You know what? And that and that was a veteran doing that. But that's also a veteran just knowing that, um, you know, some of these younger guys uh, might make some bad plays or might or like. You know how Todd Gibson pushed him all the way out to the three-point line. He he knew that he might be able to get him all the way out to the three-point line, get him off his spot because he's a young player. 
and I can see all that, but that that doesn't explain the urgency. The urgency urgency needs to come from within, and I think this team either needs to find another player or find a player within itself that can build up into that leadership role to get that urgency into people, or they need to be able to all find it themselves because you're never going to be able to compete in the NBA without that killer mentality, without that inner drive to compete late in games. And, you know, the way the NBA has designed the, the top players in the league, you know, they always, you know, the best team in the league always wins, usually. Nine, 90% of the time, the, the best players or the team with the best players is going to win. That's just the way basketball plays. But you, you can still make strides and get better in games like that if you have that urgency and you learn from yourself. So hopefully next year our guys have learned that disappointment from that last game that they don't want to happen again. And maybe you can see a lot of change in some of these young players when they've had that heartbreak now. Yep. So I'll, I'll wrap up uh, real quick, Cubs, with the, the season take. Uh, the, the, the Nuggets should have been in the playoffs, plain and simple. No questions asked. They should have been there. And there's a couple of key things to point out or uh, stick out to me. Uh, to start, the month of October, they went three and four. Yes, beginning of the season, but absolutely atrocious. Um, Pre-All-Star break, they were averaging 108, we'll call it, points a game. Uh, Post-All-Star, they added a, a whole extra, what is that, almost eight points, um, just at uh, 115 points a game. Somehow they were able to turn it on, turn on the Jets, and just completely, I mean, month of February, they almost scored 120 points a game. Like, the offense was there, it was clicking. Why didn't they have it figured out months before? They got to learn to win on the road. Uh, 15 and 26 on the road, they got to come back and, and find ways. And I think that will happen as these young players get a little bit older. They'll find a way to just steal some of those games. I mean, we had how many games? I think we lost twice to the Sun. We had 11 yeah. games versus teams that were sub 500 that uh, we yeah. lost. Uh, that's has a winning record on the road, a playoff team probably goes 500 or a little bit better on the road. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
to finish games out. All right, well, we need to get moving on here, guys, but I, I appreciate the takes. My my only thing on the Nuggets season, uh, I think uh, the loss uh, – well, not the loss, but the non-playing of Trey Lyles um, in the last month of the season I think was absolutely killer. When Paul Millsap came back from his injury, they completely just went away from Trey Lyles, who was one of our best three-point shooters, best offensive production players. I think him and Jokic really found some great chemistry and worked really, really well together during uh, you know that middle stretch of the season when we were really successful. So I think Trey Lyles could have been a big, big difference maker um, in the game uh, against the Timberwolves in place of Wilson Chandler. And I think, uh, you know, down the stretch of the season. But like I said, you know, they ended the, ended the year with uh, six wins and one loss. So, you know, hopefully some things to look forward to uh, next year. We'll see what takes place. My last note to you guys and, and no uh, – um, no responses required, but um, 2018 Denver Nuggets acquire Kawhi Leonard. That's the dream. Yeah. That's what I'm praying for. So moving on here, guys, we will uh, really, really quick. Let's just kind of dive into the NHL here with our Colorado Avalanche. Um, I know it's been a rough first two games against um, the Predators. Uh, you know, obviously game one, we were looking really, really good. Um, you know, we, we were, um, up twice in that game. We were tied two to two going into the third period. And then they, uh, they scored three and shut us out in the third to win five, two. And then game two, um, you know, again, very, very close. We ended up losing that one, uh, four to five by just one goal. Um, you know, not a lot of people gave the avalanche a fighter's chance in this series and they really have shown the predators some great competition some great games i think that they've been a lot better uh defensively than people thought i think they've been a lot better offensively than people thought um outside of nathan mckinnon um you know i think that everyone was kind of banking on mckinnon's our only um you know fighters chance in this series to be competitive and we've seen a lot of guys step up and make plays looking really good um so my only question to you guys um, do the Avs have a chance at winning maybe a couple here at home? They played a night in game three um, here in just about a half hour. Um, how many games do you have them winning this this series? And uh, what does that mean going into next year uh, with this team if we can stay healthy next year? Uh, yeah, I think, they've, I think they've shown that they can compete with this team. Um, sadly to say, obviously, I don't think that they can win the series. Um, especially with their start, um, they might be able to scratch out one or two here at home. Um, but I think the Predators are still just more experienced. They're still more physical, and they still seem like they have more urgency than they have. Um, like late in that game, um, uh, the last game too, um, you know, at the very end of the game, they had the net pulled, um, or they had the goalie pulled, an empty net and they threw one down off the backboards and their guy beat us back by a good 10 15 yards it seemed like there was no there was no uh avalanche in sight when that guy came and put it in the empty netter and then we ended up getting the bowl uh-huh nothing and then and then we get a and then we get a goal with three seconds left which would have tied up four four if if we would have just showed some hustle on that play and that's that's one of those things. It just it shows to their inexperience. It shows to um, 
Um, I think the Predators are more motivated this year than the Avs are. Um, and I think the Avs have almost looked like they've, I mean, they've, they've, they've played good, and they really have, and they've really showed that they have a lot of potential and that they can uh, compete in the playoffs and that maybe next year they can really stir some things up. But uh, I think the Predators have so much confidence this year. I think um, I think uh, they are my pick for the Stanley Cup uh, champion. I think um, I think that they they know that they are probably the most physical um, team in the league. I think they wear teams down, and they have an incredible uh, ability to score the score the puck now. Well, and I think, yeah, I think like you said, I think the Predators was a really tough first round matchup for the Avs. I mean, obviously, when you, you know, eke into the playoffs and you're a wild card team, that's what you pull, the number one team in the Western Conference. Um, you know, I think that, you know, we could have played some other teams where, you know, we might have seen a six or seven game series or maybe the Avs even pull one out. Um, but I think the Predators, like I said, they're on a mission. Last year, they should have won the Cup. You know, they lost to Crosby and the Pens. Um, you know, this year they are on a mission to make sure they take care of business. They have a team that is stacked, ready to win. They've, you know, done it all year long. Um, so, like I said, I think that it was just kind of a tough first-round matchup. But I think it'll yeah. show some, you know, great uh, things for next year with what the Avs fans can be happy for is because they're being competitive with the number one team. Um, you know, they, they're, they you know, giving them all they got. I mean, like I said, that Predators were the number one team in the entire NHL much less the Western Conference. So, you know, for us to really, you know, push them in these games, I'd love to see them win one or two, um, you know, on our little home stretch here, you know, try and eke one out. Maybe we get a playoff uh, or, I'm sorry, an overtime win or something like that just to kind of spark a little excitement. But, um, you know, like I said, I think that, you know, it's just it's just a tough matchup, you know, to pull them in the first round. Um, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think, Timmy? Obviously, confidence in any sport um, drives and motivates teams more than anything. If there's that, I do. I think they're far superior um, in their confidence in themselves than any other team in the league right now, and I think that's what's going to take them to the Stanley Cup uh, um, champions this year. And uh, and yeah, the Nuggets have, have fought well and they've uh, really showed some things, but you can tell uh, that they lack the confidence that Nashville does because. Uh, every time we score, Nashville within it almost seems like a minute or two every single time they score right back because I feel like we almost let off the gas a little bit and they're still full war all game long. Well, uh, every time I have somebody ask me what I think about the Nuggets, I say 53. 53 points is the difference. Are you talking about the Avalanche or the Nuggets here, Timmy? Sorry, it's the Avalanche. Okay. My bad, my bad. <laughs>
about talking, what we talked about the Nuggets, this, there's this age difference of some, some of these intangibles that they just haven't gotten down yet, like staying out of the penalty box, you know, staying on the ice at full strength hockey, um, not getting, you know, hitting, being there to put a little bit more hits, be a little bit more aggressive on the forecheck, and not sitting back. Because um, that's what led to the Predators pretty much destroying them in game one was because they were just being much more aggressive than the Avs for longer in the game. So, so I, I think I think the Avs have positioned themselves well for the future, especially with this talent, and they they far exceeded my expectations. I'm loving that we're having this right now, where teams in Denver are finally needs to be relevant again for playoff talk, and now we need them to take the next step. And I think the Avs have a better footing than any team right now to start developing to hey, we can be competing for a championship. Better than the Rockies? No comment. <laughs> I mean, come on. The Rockies, like, this is supposed to be their year. I mean, if our if our starting pitchers can turn it around this year, I mean, last year they played so well, and the start of this year it's been pretty bad. But I feel like the Rockies are kind of the best chance for Colorado fans right now. <laughs> well, they're the best chance, and, you know, we all need to start talking about maybe coming over here to Seattle. Yeah. Well, like I said, guys, I, I appreciate the take on that. I think, you know, I agree. I think the Avs, you know, have definitely exceeded expectations for this season. It was so good to see them finally make the playoffs again. You know, it's only two times in the past eight years that the Avs have made the playoffs, and we are not used to that, not whatsoever uh, used to the Avs making the playoffs two times in eight years. Um, we're used to them competing for the Stanley Cup, um, you know, making deep runs in the playoffs and being very, very competitive. So I hope that – uh, you know, they can take this momentum in next year. Uh, like you said to me, we got a really young team. Uh, I think we have a very talented team. If we can stay healthy, uh, you know, I think McKinnon, number one, has to stay healthy. Uh, but I think he's really owned taking over this team and being the number one guy. I think, uh, you know, his line has been very productive. I think he's the new coach now in his second year has kind of figured out who he likes uh, playing with each other. I think we can bolster our defense a little bit more going into next year. Uh, Varlamov will be healthy, you know, going into next year again, and we'll kind of, you know, see how this thing plays out. But it's exciting to see them, see them competitive. So, uh, well, I just want to, I want to thank you both very much. Thanks for taking the time uh, out of your day to join me to talk, uh, talk sports. Um, you know, I really, really do appreciate it. Um, so, thank you guys so much. Uh, next, uh, next time we'll uh, maybe try and get you guys on, and we'll, uh, we'll be discussing maybe the NBA Finals and NHL Stanley Cup. Uh, finals and things like that. And we'll kind of see how the Rockies are doing, um, you know, moving down the line here. So thank you guys so, so much for joining. I really, really do appreciate it. Hey, right. man, always here. I'd be happy to talk about uh, post-draft stuff too. That's going to be fun to analyze. Yeah. Well, that'll do it, everyone, for another episode of No Need to Argue here with Kobe Wittick. Um, I want to thank again, Tanner, uh, my brother and Timmy B from Washington for uh, joining me tonight to talk uh, sports. I really do appreciate it. Um, really, really, really love doing this for you guys. Uh, you know, I hope that everyone's enjoying this podcast in particular, or listening to me, um, you know, go off sometimes rant, sometimes a little monotone, uh, talk sports and go through different scenarios. So I uh, really, really appreciate um, all of your support and uh, listening into this. So, uh, definitely remember to check me out on Twitter 
at no need to a that's no need number two a no need to a um, on twitter i'll be uh posting about this episode and many more to come um so uh looking forward to the draft here we'll kind of see what happens 10 days away um so uh hope everyone enjoys it and uh go abs tonight so thank you so much talk to y'all soon take care